Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here, for being dedicated to the house of the Lord. Tonight, I am honored to be able to share the word, the lesson for tonight. And we're going to start off by reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, if you have your Bibles with you. Matthew 1, we're going to start at verse number 18 and read through verse 23 just to get started here. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, everybody say it with me, Jesus. What's the rest of that verse say? For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And read that last part with me. Which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. My sermon title, if I was going to ha give you one tonight, is Why Did Jesus Come? You know, it's, it's the Wednesday before Christmas, and I was asked to speak tonight, and as I started to think, what should I speak on, teach on, I thought, why not just go over what the Bible says as reasons for Him coming and uh, why we celebrate Christmas? And so that's what I'll try to do. You know, Jesus came in a peculiar way. If I was God, and I want you to think about that for yourself, if you were God, how would I come to save mankind? What would I do? You know, would I come as a lightning bolt out of the sky, you know, and, and like the superhero movies you see, and, and save mankind from disaster? Would I maybe come as a Greek mythological god like Zeus? How would I come? He decided to come as a baby. And not just did he decide to come as a baby. You know, we call him king of kings. But he came not in a palace even. I mean, he could have come in a palace as a baby. But Jesus decided to come to man in the form of a humble baby not in a palace, but in a little shack, in a little shed where animals ate and, and were taken care of, to what seemed to be insignificant people as parents. Who is this Mary and Joseph? Who are they? Just some Jewish people. But that's how Jesus decided to come. I'm not sure if God decided to do this because the Bible says God likes to 
confound the wise with foolishness. Or the Bible also says that God likes to take weak things, you know, and show those things that are strong as not strong in reality. So I don't know if that's why God chose this way. But I do remember the story of King David. I don't know if you remember the story of King David. I'm sure most of you do. But I'm just going to talk about it just for a second. King David was going to be anointed the king of Israel. In that story, you go to the book of 1 Samuel. The prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint a new king. And he was sent to a man named Jesse. And God told him, you're going to pick one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, if you can pull that up. 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. And it says, And it came to pass, when they were come, he, that he looked, speaking of Samuel, on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and said, Surely this has to be the one that you want me to anoint God. But the Lord, in verse 7, said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel ended up looking at seven sons of Jesse, and God did not choose one of them. And Samuel spoke to Jesse and said, Is there not another one? Is there someone that you have forgotten, Jesse, to bring for me to judge? Because the Lord said, There is one that is to be anointed king. And Samuel, in verse 11, in 12, it says in verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? This is Samuel talking to Jesse. And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till we come hither. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. It says, Now he was ruddy and with all a beautiful countenance. And goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. David's father didn't even consider him as kingly material. The term ruddy isn't a term I use every day, but it was used to describe David in this story. And from what I can tell in looking up that, word, it means that he was reddish. And it also described him as beautiful, good to look upon. And when you think of a young man or, or somebody that is going to be the next king, you want him to be a, maybe handsome. You want him to, you want him to be, but you want him to be, you know, stately and strong and, you know, a chiseled face. That's the kind of man that men are looking for to be their leaders. But David 
is described as beautiful, good to look at. He was just a, a young man. And the Lord says, this is the one. Matthew Henry's commentary mentions, when he's talking about the word ruddy, which is reddish, and I, I think this is just his opinion, but it really stuck out to me that David, if you know the story of David writing all the psalms, singing songs to the Lord out in the middle of the wilderness, taking care of sheep, nobody there to judge him, nobody there to, you know, for him to impress but the Lord. Amen? That's all he was there for was to impress the Lord. And he, he, was, he was a humble young man that loved God. And the Bible even describes him as a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord so much. And it's possible because of his humility and, and, and the fact that he didn't expect anybody to make over him that he blushed. Like, me? Me? And that's the kind of heart that I know God is looking for. Isn't that amen? Can you say amen to that? God is looking for a humble heart. Somebody that is willing to love him no matter what. And, and maybe somebody that doesn't seem to fit the mold, somebody that might not look as kingly material, but God doesn't, as the Bible says here, look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. God does things differently than man does. He decided to come in a different manner than maybe most people would have expected God to come. How did he come? He came in humility. Philippians 2.7, if you could turn there, expresses it well. It says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's the way God decided to come. Not as a great God, Zeus. Not as a, like Thor with a lightning bolt, with a big hammer. That's not how he decided to come. But he decided to come in a humble manner. It says he had no reputation, put upon himself no reputation. And that means that Jesus was a vessel that was emptied completely. I'm going to say that again and try to explain that. He was a vessel emptied completely. Jesus emptied himself of all honor and glory of heaven. He emptied himself of all that to clothe himself with the rags of human nature. That is how he made himself of, of no reputation. Our almighty God that created heaven and earth came this way. So knowing how he came is important into knowing why he came. And I'll try to explain that. But knowing how he came is related to and is significant into knowing why he came. And it is because humility is the biggest weapon that we can use against pride and sin and the enemy. Humility. You know, the, the verse, I didn't even put this one down, but the Bible says, when I am weak, then he is strong in me. 
When I am weak, I allow him to fill me up. I allow him to get the glory. And so there's a reason that Jesus came in a humble way. And it's because that's the best way to fight the enemy. Now this will not be an exhaustive list, but I'm going to try to go over at 723 eight things, eight reasons that I came up with why Jesus came. And so number one, number one reason Jesus came on this list, not in any, necessarily in any order, but Jesus came in humility, right? But he came to make you complete. He came to make me complete. You know, we're talking about it's Christmas time. But the Christmas time, I, I, as Sister Shostran said the other night, it's a great story, but it's more than just him as a baby. But the baby is the humble way he came to do all the things that he had to do to make us, number one, complete. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working you in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That first part of that second verse, verse 21, just highlight it in your mind. It says, make you what? Perfect. Okay. Then if you could turn to 1 Peter 5.10. I'll read that one as well. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that ye have suffered a, a while, God sometimes causes us or allows us to suffer, right? But there's a purpose in it. After you have suffered a while, make you what? Perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. So both of those verses use the phrase, make you perfect. Now, this word perfect is not necessarily the perfect that we think of in the English language, which means ultimate, you know, nothing's wrong with us. <laughs> we're, just, we're just perfect. And that's not what he, uh, he, God is getting at after in this verse. Perfect in these two verses come from the Greek word, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, katartizo. And it means to complete thoroughly. For example, repair or adjust, fit, Frame, mend, restore. Amen. That's why he came to mend thee, to restore you, to repair you, to make some adjustments in your life. God's plan for each of us is to make us complete. He wants to repair what has been broken. Has anybody been broken? Amen. God came to heal that brokenness. That's what his words, that's not what I'm saying. 
That's what the Word of God says. That He came to heal our brokenness. He wants to mend our broken hearts. He wants to restore us to right relationship. Hebrews 13.20 said, Through the everlasting blood of the covenant, which was made possible by His sacrifice, right? That covenant, that blood covenant, was made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's what in verse 21 makes us complete. That sacrifice. He had to come and sacrifice himself on the cross in order to make us complete. So number one, Jesus came at this time, not at this time of the year, but the reason we celebrate his birth, the reason he initially came and was born as a, as a baby, was to make you complete. Number two, Jesus came to heal you. If you could turn to Isaiah 61 and 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, familiar verse, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to what? Bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. If you could also turn to the New Testament, Luke chapter 4 and starting at verse 17. Luke chapter 4 starting at verse 17. In this scripture, in, in the New Testament, it was the Sabbath day, and Jesus went to, he was in Nazareth, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he read this same scripture that day. Starting at verse 17, and there was delivered unto him, speaking of Jesus, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Does that describe anybody in here? Again, I'm, I'm asking you, anybody been bruised in your spirit, in your heart? Anybody been broken? Anybody felt like that maybe they've been um, in prison before. Verse 21, skipping to verse 21, it says, And he began to say unto them, the people in the synagogue, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day is this scripture of the Messiah coming to bring restoration, healing, strength. Jesus said, I am the one that's going to bring this to you. If you wonder why Jesus came, it's not just so we can sing jingle bells. Amen? It's not just because uh, we can give each other gifts and presents. All those things are nice, and I love them. But the reason that he came was to heal you, and it was to heal me, to make me complete. That's why he came. And I can say there is no other God that I can see in history, no other religion that has a God that comes to heal us. 
I am so glad I serve the Lord. Amen? He came to heal us. Number three, Jesus came to reconcile you back to himself. Excuse me. Jesus came to reconcile you and me back to himself. If you could go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, excuse me, starting at verse 9. What does the word reconcile mean? And in biblical terms, it means that God wants to bring us back into right relationship with him. So starting at verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were, what? Enemies, right? We were all enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When God reconciled us to himself, what he is doing is restoring a right relationship with him. You, you know that man was created to be in communion with God. Adam, in the book of Genesis, walked daily, the Bible says, with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They had a relationship. They spent time together. They had communion. Adam and God walked together and talked. And I think maybe we could take a little, uh, what would you say, advice from the Lord on how to have relationships, right? They took time, spent time with each other every day. But that communion had been lost. Romans 5.12 says that we were separated by Adam's sin. It says, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. By one man, Adam's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And then skipping down to verse 15, it says, through the offense of one, many be dead. Through the offense of one, what is separation from God? Separation from God is spiritual death, isn't it? It's separation from Him. It's not being in relationship with Him. So through the offense of one, Adam, many, which describes the whole world without God, be dead. Then it goes on to say, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, who? Jesus Christ, have abounded to many. So one man separated us from God. And I know I'm not speaking or teaching anything that you don't already know. But one man separated us, Adam, by his sin. But Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to him, to restore that relationship with God. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the internal battle, and I won't ask you to pull that one up, but he talks about the internal battle within himself of trying to do right. If you've ever read that chapter, it goes back and forth where Paul is saying, I want to do right, 
But the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I'm doing. That, exp that expresses the human situation. I try to do right, but I end up doing what's wrong. Without the work of Jesus Christ, we are insufficient to fight on our own. Paul said in ch chapter 7, verse 24 of Romans, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who can deliver me from this situation, from this circumstance, from these problems? And maybe we should just take one minute right now. Is that all right? Let's just, God, who's going to deliver me? Let's pray to him. Lord, we find ourselves, oh God, in situations and we don't know what to do. Oh Lord, we're seeking your face and we are so glad that you came. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Who's going to save me? Deliver me. And then you skip to the next, next chapter and Paul starts giving us the answer. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in who? Christ Jesus. That's where we need to be, right? On our own, we're insufficient. We're unable to win the battle. But when we are in Christ Jesus, and that verse continues to say, who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? The Spirit. Who are in Christ. And so it changes the way we walk. It changes our desires. And that's how we can overcome because when we get closer to God, He changes the way we think, our desires. And we can be, the Bible talks about how our desires become what He desires. So, speaking back to Adam, He sinned because of what? Three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's why He sinned. He got His eyes off of God. And then sin separated mankind from God. Our lives without Christ can only be lived one way. And so if you're trying to live that way, and I, I'm not saying anybody is, but if you're trying to live on your own without Christ, it can only be lived in the flesh. But there's no con condemnation for those that get in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> number four, the number four reason that Jesus came was to condemn sin on your behalf. Jesus came to condemn sin on your behalf. If you could pull up Romans chapter 8, We'll read, start at verse number 3. Let's read verse 3 real quick. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin. And condemned comes from the word katakrino, and that means to sentence. So Jesus came and gave sin a death sentence. He placed sin on death row. 
Amen? That thing that seemed to control us before Christ, without His Word and without His Spirit, Jesus came to destroy sin and put it to death. When we believe in Christ and apply His blood to our lives and we live out the plan of salvation, He takes the sin that has controlled us and gives it a sentence of death. Verse 4 goes on to say, if you could pull that one up, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us because we do need the righteousness of the law. The law is, is a good thing. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Holy Ghost working in us, that's what allows us to live a life of righteousness. We on our own, we cannot do it. It's impossible. But when His Spirit is living in us and we're walking in His presence in His Spirit, walking after Him, we can then live out the law of righteousness. And we can live out the law of, of God and He gives us the power to obey. Paul keeps on going back and forth on the conflict of the flesh in that chapter. The conflict of flesh and spirit. And there are basically two different outcomes in our lives to every person that has ever lived and will live, there are two different outcomes in a person's life depending on how you choose to live. Are you going to follow God, number one, or are you going to follow your, your flesh? Those that live after the flesh will find death, but those that live after the Spirit will find life everlasting. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's a path to life, and there's a path to death. And then verse number 8, let's read that one. So then they that are in the flesh cannot what? If we don't get in the Spirit, if we don't start walking after the Spirit, and, and this messages convict me more now than even was before. If I don't get in His Spirit and start rebuking bad habits, start rebuking bad attitudes, stop putting people down, just the things that God teaches us about, if I don't stop those things and start lifting Him up, lifting others up, I am going to be condemned to the path that is not pleasing to the Lord. And so, I want to do better. I want to do right. So living for the Lord, reading His Word, encourages us and puts us, it puts in our mind the desire, in our heart the desire to love one another. Before Christ, there wasn't a way to please Him. If you were a Jew before Jesus came, the only process for atonement or forgiveness was every year the Jews had to have a sacrifice and their sins were pushed back another year. But then you read in the book of Hebrews and, and God said the blood of bulls and goats aren't good enough to satisfy God. 
right? So he came once, if you read in Hebrews, he came once and for all to die, to offer his blood for our sins. And so before Jesus, the Jews, they had to come to the, to the Day of Atonement and have a sacrifice made. But then if you were unlucky and were a Gentile, you just had no hope. There was no, no uh, opportunity to know the true God. There was no opportunity to please him. So he came so that he could condemn sin and give you and me the opportunity to be in right relationship with him. That's one of the, another reasons that the Lord came. Number five. Hopefully we'll get through all eight. He came to be our example. Adam was separated from God because of, I mentioned before, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's from 1 John 2.16. And usually when we live a life of sin or allow the sinful nature to be in charge of us, one of those three things, if not all of those three things, are present in that situation, in that sin, in that lifestyle. If you could pull up Genesis 3, 6, and then Joshua 7, 21 after that. Genesis 3, 6 says, and when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. She saw, right? And that it was pleasant to the eye. And a tree to be, to, to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so you see right there the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's that pride, that sneaking in. There's no humility there. It's what can I get? What can I have? What can I do for myself? How can I make my life better? Right? Then Joshua 7.21 Thank you. Talking, Achan was one of the Israelites that walked around Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And they were commanded not to take any of the items as spoil. But there, and the Israelites ended up at the next battle, just to give you a quick summary, um, after Jericho in the town of Ai. They went there, and of course, they thought they were going to win that battle because God was with them. But they lost. They ran away because they did not, they could not win. God was not with them. And Joshua found out that there was sin in the camp. And he came to Achan and asked Achan what he had done. And this is verse 21, Achan speaking. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So the sin nature started with Adam and Eve. There's a few examples like this one with Achan. And it's been a problem ever since. But Jesus came to be our example so that we don't have to be trapped in that old nature. 
1 John 2.17, if you could turn there. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Amen? So these things that, that, that we're lusting against, and this is not, not a new message. You understand us, I pray, and hope. But the things that we lust after, the things that cause us to mess up, those evil desires, they're not going to last. But he that doeth the will of God, it says, abides forever. So how do we do the will of the Father that's mentioned in this verse? He that does the will of God abides forever. I want to abide forever. I, I want to do God's will. How do we do his will? We follow his, his example. What are some things that Jesus did? He came humbly, right, as a baby with no place to be born. He lived humbly. So he's born humbly. He lived humbly. The Bible talks how he became a servant. In one story, he washed the feet of his own disciples. The Almighty God in flesh bent down and washed the grimy feet of his disciples and dried them. A great example to follow. And then how he died was an example. He humbled himself to the most gruesome and humiliating deaths. While in the meantime, he could have called that song in the scripture says he could have called the angels, right, to pull him down. And he could have got down by himself. And there were those at the cross that mocked him. If you are the Christ, come down from the cross. Right? But he humbled himself because he had a purpose. And that was to break this change of sin, right? To deliver us. And he did that by being our example. So the first Adam was separated from God because of his pride and his desire to fill his lust, his desires. But Jesus came humbly. He came as a servant, and he is our example. So we can follow his example by what he did in the Gospels as we see his lifestyle, but also by the other things. He was a servant. He sat, the Bible says, with the what? Publicans. The, the people nobody thought was worth anything. He talked to them. He cared enough to talk to a Samaritan woman by the well. If you know that story. And he, and he forgave the sins of a prostitute. And he, uh, he touched the unclean lepers. The untouchables of society. That is the example of Jesus Christ to us in his life. And another way we follow him is by taking in the Word of God. Because the Bible describes Jesus as the Word, right? And the Word of God is inspired and is God-breathed. And so when we take in this Scripture and when, this Word of God, that's another way we can see the examples that we should follow. And I just uh, have a few verses, Sister Tracy, that I wanted to go over real quick that describe How we can follow his example. First is Romans 8.29. I'll try to, these are just quick examples if you want to write them down or I'm sure you've read these ones before. It says, for, um, for whom he did know, foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, number one, 
we are predestinated to be conformed into his image. And conform means to comply to what someone else desires. And in this case, I'm placing God's desire above my desire. So God's desire for me is for me to be conformed and to take on his desires. Number two, Philippians chapter two, verse three. We're going to read a couple verses from that one. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. That is what God is calling to us to do. That's, how, that's why Jesus came, so that we know how to live. And he wants us to live a humble life. A life that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Because there's a deadly trap when we start becoming prideful. We, we know this. I mean, Satan fell into that trap. He wanted to be above God. And God resists the proud, but gives grace and lifts up the humble. So, no, so he wants us to have lowliness of mind. Skipping down to verse 5 and 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let this mind. What was that mind? What, did, what kind of mindset did Jesus have? A mindset of a servant that I'm not too good for anybody. The mindset that I can, I can be kind to you. The mindset that I want to uh, help you. The mindset that I have no reputation. Who I, what I do, who I am, where I came from doesn't matter. And sometimes we have to step back and think, you know, am I giving too much power to my opinion about myself, about others, about the world? Does my opinion match up with this, right? And so, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And he made of himself of no reputation. John 3.30 just talking about John the Baptist, he just said, he must what? Increase, and I must decrease. Colossians 3.2, set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. I don't think that was the right one. We'll skip that one, because that's not right. Romans 12.2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Let your mind be transformed. Romans twelve sixteen. We're getting there. It's not quite eight o'clock. This is a good one. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. Thank you, Sister Tracy. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Don't walk in the vanity of your mind. And so those are just some verses I wanted to throw out there of God is our example through his word of how to live a humble life, how to esteem others above yourselves, to not think too highly of yourself. And we live in a culture, if you don't realize it, then uh, you must be living in a cabin up in some mountain all by yourself. But we live in a culture that values self a lot more than the example that Jesus gave us to follow. It's not all about me, right? It's not about me. It's about others. He came humbly, he lived humbly, and he died humbly. And the pride of sin cannot be, de be, excuse me, be defeated any other way but through humility. He won our salvation through humility. And our victory in our lives, if we're struggling against something, comes through humility and submission to him. So he came as our example. Number six, and I'll skim through the last three. He came because I needed him to. That's why he came, because I needed him to. I needed his grace even when I didn't know I needed his grace. We sing a song, and we sang it Sunday, by Zach Williams. There was Jesus. A little background on him. William, the writer of that song and singer of that song, explained in a press release, the song is about looking back at 20 years ago when I had no idea that God was in the moment, that he was even with me through some of the hard things that have gone on in my life. Anybody else feel that way, that you didn't realize he was there? Now I can see that he had his hand in everything I was doing. It says, Zach had led a rock band from 2007 to 2012. He traveled the South, and he traveled all over Europe. He disbanded the group when he started feeling uncomfortable with the lifestyle of a rock band. He wanted to perform material more befitting to his newfound Christian beliefs. And some, the, some of the lyrics from that song says, Every time I tried to make it on my own, every time I tried to stand and start to fall, and all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, who was there? There was Jesus. He came because I needed him to. I couldn't make it on my own. I was lost without him. And that's why he came. He came because without his grace, I would be lost without any hope. Then another story to describe why he came is a, is a song written by John Newton, Amazing Grace, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story about John Newton. Newton wasn't always a spiritual leader. He was born in London in 1725. He was the only child of a sea captain and a church-going woman. His mother taught him to read the Bible and took him to church until she died when he was seven. And then his father remarried, and his father and stepmother didn't really focus on John's spiritual life, it says. Newton got involved with a gang at 19 and 
join the crew of a ship. And as the story goes, um, he tried to escape the ship but failed and the captain stripped him and flogged him. And later he transferred to another ship and that's when he got into the slave trade business. And the Bible, or not the Bible, the story goes that Newton became known for his wild behavior and he mocked Christianity. But God still had John on his mind. In 1748, he was on board a ship called the Greyhound. During a violent storm, the ship took in the water, took in water, and was falling apart. And it kind of reminds me of the story of Paul. That night, as he tried to keep the ship from sinking, he thought about the state of his life. And that's sometimes when we think about that, isn't it? What have I gotten myself into? He knew he had been running from God and hurting other people. When he realized he might die, he wondered, the story goes, if God would forgive him. What a thought, right? I'm sure sometimes, we, many times we've done things, God, can you forgive me? He remembered what his mother had taught him. That God loves to show mercy. Even to those who think they can't be redeemed. He asked God for help, and God helped him survive that storm. His life began to change over time. He started pray, praying, and he eventually gave up the shipping business and slave trade. He ended up getting married and becoming a pastor of a small English church. It was during that time that he wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus came because I needed him to. I don't know about you, can you all say that? I needed him. I needed him. Amen. Number seven. I'm just going to skim over the next two. He came to break the curse. Sin was a curse that we are under and we're under. And Galatians 3.13 says, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. And so Jesus came to take that curse upon himself to free us from the curse. What a wonderful God we serve. Number eight, he came to take his rightful place in my life. He came to be the king of our lives. And as our king, he gives us good things. James talks about how every good and perfect gift is from where? It's from above, amen? Amen. Comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In Colossians chapter 2, it talks about how the king supplies our needs and makes us whole. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and, and, principality and power. When we think of Jesus Christ coming to the world, we usually think of the Old Testament verse from Isaiah 9-6, where the Messiah was predicted, saying he shall be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
He came to be all those things to those that would believe. But the prediction of the Messiah comes in chapter 9, right after Isaiah is prophesying about Israel's destruction. And I just want to skim over this real fast and we'll be done. Chapter 8 describes Israel's relationship with God. It seems to describe humans in general, back and forth in our relationship with God, getting closer to him, falling back, and getting closer to him and falling back. And because of their human nature, the flesh, and our human nature, just as Israel did, we sometimes reject God. 8.1 says, Moreover, Isaiah 8.1, Moreover the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalab Hashbaz. I practice that. <laughs> and so he was to write down concerning this Maher Shalab Hashbaz. This person was Isaiah's, the prophet's, second son. And his name means plundering and despoiling or robbing will come quickly. Spoiling, robbing will come quickly. And his name predicted the destruction of Syria and Israel by Assyria in 722 B.C. And the reason destruction was coming was because they rejected God. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you would read Isaiah chapter 8, it's really interesting. It talks about how if you would just, Israel, allow the water that flows from Shiloh into Shiloh, which was a spring of water that flowed underneath Jerusalem, according to what I studied. And it was a slow, gentle stream that protected them and kept them with water during war and troubled times. But he predicted if you don't follow God and if you reject him, there will be a mighty river from the Euphrates come and destroy you. And so what happened? They rejected God and instead of having that gentle water provision from Jesus Christ that we can have, they determined, I'm going to do it my way. And they were destroyed by the king of Assyria. And so the reason he came was to take his rightful place in our lives. And if we reject him, we will be like Israel and be destroyed by sin and what we ask for. But when we submit to Jesus Christ and live our lives for him, he gives us, as the gentle spring of Shiloh, he gives us what? Peace that passes understanding. And so the question tonight is, will you choose the calm waters of Shiloh? Will you, will I, make room for the one that there was no room in the end for? During this Christmas season, and not just this Christmas season, but this coming year, I want to determine in my mind and heart, am I going to make room for you, Lord? Because I know why you came. 
and I want to experience it for myself. Amen. Praise the Lord.